do you feel like the quality of your life has changed becoming more involved? Uh, did I really write that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> 100%, 100%. I feel more peaceful, more at peace. I feel more secure. And I think that I'm in the position where I've worked past a little bit of my trauma and I feel ready. listening to the Civic Identity Podcast, and this is Jenna. I signed up for PA 413 at the beginning of spring term, not really knowing where we were going or how we were going to frame the discussion around the role of the individual. I assumed that we would talk about civic leaders, famous activists, and figureheads of political movements, maybe people who worked at the city government, maybe even how we as individuals could join a social club or two. Even though I had just completed a civic leadership course and had my thoughts expanded on what civic leadership or engagement really encompassed, my internal framing wasn't always meeting the reality. I wasn't looking through the right glasses. I wasn't prepared for the mindset shift that I would experience during the community-based learning project either. It was like when you go to the eye doctor and they keep asking which is better, A or B one or two, and you don't really know what the difference is until they dial in just the right combination, and then you realize what actual clarity and 2020 vision looks like, everything crystallizes. This is me trying to share my process on my crystallizing this term through some more personal reflections, my journal entries, my interview with the wise Robert Northman, and just some noodling around. I signed up for PA 413 at the beginning of spring term, not really knowing where we were going or how we were going to frame the discussion around the role of the individual. I assumed that we would talk about civic leaders, famous activists, and figureheads of political movements, maybe people who worked with the city government, maybe even how we as individuals could join a social club or two. Even though I had just completed a civic leadership course and had my thoughts expanded on what civic leadership or engagement really encompassed, my internal framing wasn't always meeting the reality. I wasn't looking through the right glasses. I wasn't prepared for the mindset shift that I would experience during the community-based learning project either. It was like when you go to the eye doctor and they keep asking which is better, A or B one or two, and you don't really know what the difference is until they dial in just the right combination, and then you realize what actual clarity and 2020 vision looks like, everything crystallizes. This is me trying to share my process on my crystallizing this term through some more personal reflections, my journal entries, my interview with the wise Robert Northman, and just some noodling around. Has your civic identity shifted these past few weeks, year, time at PSU? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that 
Um, this course also started when I started this job at the PSU Food Pantry, which has really kind of shifted my framework and understanding what my civic identity is. Um, so I say like the conjunction of those two things happening at the same moment in time has really pushed my civic identity forward. And I think that my civic identity just being at PSU has shifted because I went from full-time worker, part-time school student to full-time student. And that really shifted how I wanted to engage with my community, with myself, um, how I identified in general. Or a part of my identity that's really strong right now is this like identity of, of a student and what that means. And I think it allows me the ability to kind of recognize that I'm still processing a lot of things. Um, and it allows me the ability to like recognize that I don't have all the answers. And I think that this is like the first time that I felt really comfortable not having the answers or being in spaces where other people also don't I have completely agree. School yeah. has been like the most open, most safest place for me to like talk about things and open up about, you know, where I fit in. Yeah. In, in the scheme of things. And I have I found this to be an inclusive, most tolerant place, especially coming from uh, my background and where yeah. I, some of the places I've been. Um, it's, it's, this has really been the same experience for me. It's, it's a game changer too. And I think, I mean, I went to PCC for a few terms before coming here and I felt it a little bit there, but like it not, not in the same way. And, and I don't think it's just like being an upper division class standing and having like different things they're talking no, about. It's class. just more community it's just, here. Absolutely. And like when I felt that I was like, okay, I need to quit my other job. I need to find a job on campus. I need to get connected to campus groups. Like, I didn't realize how strong of um, a part of like, how strong I would feel about it and like how much community I would feel coming here. And like, I don't know about you, but I'm 30 and like, I've had these moments of like, damn it, like what my life would be like if I had this when I was like 18, when people normally go to college and like what that must have, what that must be for people who come into it being that young. But at the same time, I'm like, shit, I'm feeling this in a way and I'm recognizing it. And that's only because like, I am the age I am and I've had the experiences and like, I don't know if I would have fully recognized it and felt the way I'm feeling it now. I'm so stoked that this version of myself is here, you know, 100% better. Using Johnson's Civic Identity Development Model, what civic position most accurately reflects where you are in your journey? <laughs> well, in this civic identity model, I would say that I am in the civic position of moving. I'm in this movement place between part of who I am and just straight up who I am. And I think this movement reflects like me coming out of my previous career, my previous experiences, and being like, that was good, that shaped me, that was gravy, and like, this is who I'm gonna be. Um, and I can be that person, you know, and it. This has created an ultimate opportunity to just meet people who really want to do. And I mean, like, like, like how you, I could hear the, the angst in your voice discussing doing versus talking mm -hmm. and, and like, 
that's the same thing. That's the same way I feel about it. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, talking toward doing it, you know, planning, collaboration. Oh, I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah. You know, we, we, could play, we could play ping pong back and forth, you know what I mean? But, you know, there comes a time with me that I just need to get out and do something. We mm -hmm. need to be talking only about what we're going to be doing. Right. And that's, that's I, think, I think that's the mature student. You know, because I, I do see that a lot of the groups that I'm a member of, um, they're kind of dormant. Nobody's really, um, there's more talking than there is doing. Right. And that's fine, too, because sometimes you need a chapter in your life where you just talk and talk it out, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. talk toward something. Talk toward something, right. Talking around something, you know, just. And that's a whole skill that you could take a class in, is like how to talk towards something. Or like when to put your pen down and be like, cool, that's enough data that we collected. That's enough theorizing. Well, not yet. We're, we're not done with the interview. <laughs> Tell me about community partner. How'd you get, how'd you get connected with PSU? Yeah, community? so let's get into that. So my community partner is the PSU Food Pantry. So I'm the general manager of the PSU Food Pantry, and the pantry is a student-led organization funded by the Student Fee Committee and just general donations. It's open to all PSU students. And I wanted to focus my community-based learning assignment on specifically the building of a partnership between the pantry and the Learning Gardens Lab. To me, basing the project on this very specific facet of the food pantry, as it addresses some of the first elements covered in participation scenarios and tactics. Specifically, we have this scenario of gardens producing food on campus. And I wanted to look at what kind of tactics can be used to bring it, that food, into the food pantry, which is also located on campus. It just didn't make sense that the food pantry would be purchasing produce while the Learning Garden Labs is giving away produce. So these two PSU programs are pieces of a puzzle and just needed some additional engagement to come together. So who's involved and how do they participate? The core people involved in my CBL are the two instructors at the LGL plus one graduate student who's in the process of gathering research for food justice and sustainability for their thesis through courses taught at the LGL. And then there's me, of course. Um, I'm representing the PSU Food Pantry and I'm acting as a liaison between the LGL and staff at the Food Pantry. Another layer of this participation for me is added in since I'm taking the summer capstone on food sovereignty and sustainability at the LGL. As soon as I was looking for a capstone, I was only gonna sign on for this one if I could connect my coursework back to my role at the Cantry. Um, these past few weeks, we've been in conversation with one another and creating a basis for what this collaboration could possibly look like. A few different proposals have come up and on what produce to pantry relationship could look like and all of the pantry staff were involved in the final decision making on if we were going to move forward with this partnership. 
What ended up feeling right for both of our groups is a soft partnership for the summer, just a little pilot program. And that's what the CBL is like leading up to is this pilot program. Maybe come fall and winter terms, we can reassess and see what needs come up and determine if we can readjust this partnership to meet the unknown needs moving forward. And I hope that this partnership proves to be sustainable enough um, and meeting everybody's needs that we want to move it forward and we want to step up to meet challenges that come up. Really though, while we're all instigating this partnership, what we're really trying to do is get those who need to be involved involved. And that is gonna be the the pantry's patrons. The people who take home the produce grown at the LGL are the most important group that we need to get involved. Um, They'll be engaging not only with the food pantry, but hopefully they'll be engaging through learning more about programs on campus that focus on food security work. And I've also been hoping that a deeper sense of community can be created with student patrons of the pantry by hearing stories and having a connection to where their food comes from. So this week, I had a great meeting with uh, somebody from the sustainable Student Sustainability Center. And we talked about the grazing garden that's on campus. And I also had a really meaningful conversation with the Learning Garden Labs out in uh, Southeast Duke, where they grow amazing produce and host a variety of capstone projects and I think I'm going to take one of the capstone projects this summer, which is what we were talking about is like, okay, I'm going to take this class and I have this job at the PSU food pantry. And how do we combine those things? Cause it just makes sense to combine them. Right. Um, and what we want to do, what we're trying to explore is can we get the produce that's grown in on campus in a variety of different settings, because there's a few gardens that produce food. How do we get that food into the food pantry? And how some of these decisions really do come down to like the most silly bureaucratic rules around logistics. Like I can't just go drive my car to the farm, work there, and then on my way home, drop off produce to the pantry. I have to go get authorized from PSU to become a driver, to drive my own vehicle, to do a produce delivery. Um, That process takes about six weeks and is impacted during COVID times. Um, Um, What strategies and tactics are used to achieve your goals or refine your goals? Oh man, and that's I did bring this up because I was like, I'm not gonna remember. I think it's like all of this. Stuff. I know, I'm old, but I told you I need a highlight. So the main strategies that I saw being used during my participation engaging with the CPL assignment and creating of this produce to pantry program 
is that we are definitely empowering the small group here, right? The leadership of this group is like a core of four individuals. And granted, we're working in conjunction with larger groups, such as the PSU Food Pantry, the patrons accessing the service, and just the greater network of PSU in general. We're able to move forward pretty quickly with implementing this program because we're having deep deliberative discussion and it's thoughtful and it's open and we're discussing all these different aspects of how the program can move forward and we're all agreeing in consensus that we want it to happen and we want to take action and I really think if there were more participants in the initial discussion and framework building it wouldn't move so quickly or maybe we wouldn't feel as nimble and capable of just kind of going with it on the fly. Something else that this ties into for me is something that was brought up in chapter nine, Abhi Namani said, which is instead of a grand plan, we need a series of smaller plans that are united through their common principles and practices. And this is essentially reflecting those small D democratic planning for small D democratic infrastructure. And it's harnessing that power of the small group and making a series of small steps, small plans, like a pilot program for the summertime when things are really cohesive that lead to this larger plan of maybe the food pantry can like help plan the gardens that are located all around campus and maybe the food pantry can like feature produce that's like solely grown on the PSU food pantry or the PSU campus. Maybe the PSU food pantry is going to be this incubator for more programs and more universities to see the power of providing their on-site pantries with produce that are grown from also on-site gardens. So that could be a grand plan but I mean, I've been thinking about that for a long time. We're not really thinking about that. That's not the focus of what we're doing here. The focus is like, we have this summer. I have this capstone project with them. I'm going to be on site and let's make the most of it and see what happens from there. And let's work together to see if we can bridge some gaps. But here's the thing. I think for my situation and what I've seen is my whole thing when I was younger is I was like, you need to do more. You need to do better. You need to do something. We all need to do something. It's like action now. I think that now it's shifting for me and I'm like, okay, there's foundation that needs to be laid and nobody's interested in doing the foundational work because it's not all sexy and pizzazzy and like you don't see it, but it's like, if you if nobody does it then the person that comes next is not going to do the action and that's where i feel like specifically in food sovereignty like that's the missing link is like the foundations are not being laid properly keen on developing a program and a relationship with the learning garden labs that is going to outlast my capstone with them outlast my tenure at uh, PSU and the PSU food pantry and will just be a part of regular operations and that's that's a little bit more tricky because that definitely takes um, 
some more development of of this greater infrastructure that exists at the university and at this community partner that I'm engaging with. But it was interesting to me because these two groups, the PSU Food Pantry and the Learning Garden Labs, were trying to focus on food sovereignty. And that's like a long-term problem to try to solve. And we can do it, right? Because they're growing the produce. We give the produce to people. Um, but is it really true, like, food resiliency, if it's only going to be during my one term, my two terms? Um, and something I've been seeing at the pantry is that because it's student-led, students come in with this, like, fiery passion, and they are really heavily engaged, and then when they leave, things that they've established maybe don't uh, stick around. And the focus point of this project for me is is food sovereignty, just because that's taken up so much of my mental space. And, and I want it to continue taking up my mental space because it's just such a part of who I am and my identity and, and where I want to go in the future. And so part of what I'm trying to explore in, in my relationships with community partners is how do I create things that are going to live past uh, my participation? How does my participation continue on when I'm not a student? I'm going to come back to it again because it's, it's definitely something that is running through my head, but this, the concept of thick participation and thin participation, I know it's like one of the first things that we were reading about and talking about, but I just, I see it. I see this thick participation with students and, and developing projects and programs. And, uh, it's, it's so thoughtful and it's great because the learning experiences, I mean, you can take it could take it with you forever um but then you know like the authors state that that thick participation is hard to sustain so i'm curious it's like okay we have this super thick participation diving in deep um with a community partnership and then can we edge out into thin participation can the concept stay the same and the ways that we participate with the, the overarching concept uh, shift into like thin participation. So maybe that's like just some light, a light engagement, you know, when, when people get busy or when certain people leave, like, what is that? What does that look like? Maybe it looks like, uh, documents with information that is like easily accessible. Maybe it looks like programs that can shift student to student. Maybe it looks like curriculum that can shift instructor to instructor. And then, moving out of the thin participation back into thick participation when like the new established group is there and then that group kind of shifts within the thick participation and it just like the cyclical thick to thin thick to thin thick to thin um is that like that sounds like sustainability to me Something that I want to bring up here that I think I was trying to get at during my interview with Robert and also processing in my journal entries is essentially matching the goals of the engagers and the engaged. Like I said earlier, 
the group of people that should be at the center of involvement are the pantry patrons who will be utilizing the produce grown on campus. This is the group of the engaged. Folks who are at the Learning Garden Labs and myself and other pantry staff, we're the engagers, but we really shouldn't be taking the center of benefits when we're looking at developing this program. And there definitely are benefits here for institutional bodies like PSU, Learning Garden Labs, the pantry, and that's super easy to put at the center. The LGL gets to develop their curriculum, the graduate student develops their thesis, the pantry has an economic benefit because we're not purchasing as much produce. And we're also the partners who are laying the groundwork for this program. So it's easy to focus on our benefits when deciding if we want to move forward. But it's incredibly essential that the potential benefits to the patrons are what is prioritized as the main goal for produce to pantry programs. I want to explicitly state the benefit for patrons so I don't get lost on the why. Here they are listed. First, the ability to select organic, local, seasonal produce is huge because right now we're only carrying conventional produce and it's definitely not seasonal. Also, there's that nourishment that you get not just for your body, but for your deeper soul when you develop a connection to where your food is grown and also the people who are growing it and hear the stories of the land. Additionally, we can offer a pickup site in deeper Southeast Portland on the farm itself. So people get that connection to the land, but they also have the ability not to drive into downtown Portland, especially if they don't live down there or take classes at the campus itself. A lot of students might still be remote and they might not want to have to go all the way into downtown to get their food, especially if they live closer to the farm. Finally, this allows students to access growing spaces, either at the LGL, in the grazing garden beds that are located on campus, or just through starts that they're able to take home. But the LGL is able to give us plant starts, which initiates this autonomy for students to grow their own food. And essentially that is starting to create food sovereignty. These are the benefits for the folks who are at the center for Pantry to Produce program and my CBL. that I carried around with me or of like uh, you need to be doing more you need to be doing better um, but recently I think that's just shifted of like well maybe I'm like people are doing the best they can like it's on me to do better if I want things to happen in a different way you know okay yeah. how do you intend to apply the participatory concepts of civic engagement to your aim to improve food systems Oh shoot, that's a real question. Okay. Kind of what Johnson is saying is like, you can't be fixed in your position because your civic identity is gonna grow. And like Iris is saying is like, you can't really have this action dependent more so on like your total identity. It's like how you're relating in these certain spaces. 
And I think about that because like that first question I ask is like, in different situations, do you have different positions? Like, does your identity change? And like in these situations of like privilege and of power and of connection, like my position is gonna change and therefore my action is gonna change. Um, this is something I all I realized last night as I was writing these. <laughs> and so I'm still kind of noodling around with it, but like, yeah, I hold a different privilege here than I do elsewhere. And so like, how are my actions gonna relate to that? And how are my actions related to my civic identity? I don't know, we can come back to that. Maybe. So I did come back to this concept again and again. And for the listener's reference, I'm trying to find a through line between ideas presented in Iris Young's political responsibility and structural injustice work with the work from Johnson's civic development model. What struck me is understanding how I'm taking political responsibility and producing collective action in my current role at the pantry and developing partnerships such as with my CBL. I find that a lot of my civic identity and my movement through Johnson's model has tied together through my degree of responsibility shifting when I look at different parameters of my connections, power, privilege, and interest. I hold a lot of privilege in my role at the PSU Food Pantry and being able to create programs and work with other departments across campus. As a person who's experienced food insecurity, I have a vested interest in creating programs that create greater access to foods and that also generate more food sovereignty. One specific tactic that we use at the food pantry is working with trauma-informed care methods. Throughout these past weeks at the pantry and working with the LGL, I've developed this deeper interest in incorporating trauma-informed care work into across campus partnerships to provide fresh produce to students. Here, Robert and I dive in a little bit deeper into what tick means. One of the biggest tactics that we're using at the food pantry is trauma-informed care methods. And so that's just recognizing that we don't know if anybody's had trauma. Most likely they have. We're just treating everybody as if they have had trauma, experienced traumatic experiences in their life. And we recognize that that causes people to act in different ways when they come in to engage. And so we are doing what we can to not cause more trauma, to not trigger trauma experiences, and to like make sure people feel respected and dignified and like can carry on with their day, right? So that's really big. We're still learning, I'm learning a lot about trauma-informed care. Our advisor, she's doing her dissertation on trauma-informed care in college food pantries specifically. Um, and it's just always reminding us about like methods and approaches. So we can hold that in the front of our head. Like that's something that I can appreciate as a person who is yeah. a survivor of trauma. And to be deep, like I I have a high ACE score. I had a lot of trial traumahood, trauma in my childhood. And that's ultimately what prevented me from having a successful college career the first time. And what why I spent the majority of my 20s just like working on working, um, but not really working until my last two years of my 20s, like really just coping. And um, I've never been in a place of employment where I felt comfortable discussing personal issues with my boss. I've always been a worker. I've always been like 
pushing my physical limits to work for this person and I've never like expressed what my career goals were or like where I was headed and um always and there were a few experiences that I had a very hard time with my manager because it triggered trauma for me and this is the first time I've had a position where that is like in the forefront of my manager's mind I don't even I like I told my I told Angela, I was like, I am so ready to like be present and be in this relationship with you as a supervisor, supervisee, and like grow my skills with you and like learn how to freaking communicate in a meaningful way. Like learn how to feel comfortable drawing boundaries with you and telling you no when I need to tell you no and like growing. Like I don't know how to do that, you know? But I can't, I can say it here and I know I can say it here and that. Again, that's a safe, that's, that's, this is such a safe place. Safe place, right? I think that this trauma-informed care is gonna be a big part of my identity and where I go in the future because like all of these social services that we're talking about, social justice, social change, it's all with people who've experienced so much trauma and if we're not doing trauma-informed care and we're trying to work and change these things like what where's that going to put people i don't know man like it's it's frustrating the answers are complex and and you know and it's going to take a lot of work if there was any one person who could have solved this whole mess already it would it wouldn't even be a mess if, i mean so i mean like we're just we're just two people trying to get involved in things that are going to make a difference and i mean just remember to disrupt. Always remember to Always disrupt. Don't well, never go with like the status quo. One of these, where did the sheet of paper go? But like the, the shift between part of who I am and who I am, like a part of that was just like having, I would guess like innocence lost. Like you see so many complexities and issues and that you have this understanding of you can't fix them, but yet you still want to engage in them. And I think that that's, I've surpassed that. <laughs> It's like, I can't do anything else. Like, you open your eyes, you see it, you can't close your eyes and wake up to something new, you know? No, I'm not playing anymore. Yeah, now I'm real. <laughs>